On this episode of DLA Extend, we celebrate Lennox's 30th birthday. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 71 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Groups, Discord Servers, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. And with me are my fantastic co-hosts, Wendy and Nate, person who seems like he's always moving. It's just a slow move. It's like an ocean liner. It goes really, really slow, but in the same direction. That's kind of like me. I'm still moving, just slowly. <laughs> well, you're done moving. You're now in the put away phase, which seems to be so much worse than moving. Well, it's a mix. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I hate finding homes for stuff. It's like, okay, I have this crap. I know I want to keep this crap because it's useful crap, but I don't know where to put it. This is true. <laughs> the amount of stuff that you find you accumulate when you're packing to move, though, is mm-hmm. you're like, where does all this come from? Because I don't remember buying half this stuff. Exactly. So I have a theory on that. If you may indulge me for just a few moments. Okay. Here's my theory. Inanimate objects, especially electronics and especially cables of any sort, they actually are able to procreate. They'll actually make things that you didn't know you had because you never actually bought them or acquired them because they birthed them in the bins. So you have to be careful with electronics because they are indeed alive and sentient. They all have AI and we just don't know it. Basically, yeah. <laughs> They will do what they do. Apparently. With that being said, <laughs> Wendy, what have you been up to? I am gearing up for school once again. The summer has gone by way too fast and I will be teaching at two different co-ops this year. That keeps us super busy. This will be the second year in a row that we'll be part of two co-ops. But this will be the first year that I'm actually doing class at two different co-ops. And the first co-op, I knew that I wanted, I needed a way in order to communicate with parents and students is what's going on. Because these are, I guess you could say, not necessarily more complicated classes, but definitely more work heavy when it comes to writing. And we have, I think, four or five books the first semester we need to read and four or five books the second semester that we needed to read and making sure that students are keeping track of which book we're reading and what day they need to have it finished because we have discussions on the books at that time. And I thought about doing a newsletter and then it's updating and sending the newsletter every week. It was actually going to be easier to make a pretty simple website and then just add a new page for each week so that there would be what we did that week with resources that go along with the topic and what's coming up next week. And each week kids have either parts that they're participating in. We have presentations that are done every single week and it's a good way for them to be able to keep track of it and a simple place for me to put it. And instead of getting a million questions in class or a million text message emails about what's coming up, I can just say, here's the website, go to the website, And you can see what's going on this week for class. The computer class that I'm going to be doing on Tuesdays, I decided I'd go ahead and throw up a page for that one too. So it's both on the same website. Each class has its own section. And then that way I can just throw up resources there so the kids can have easy access to them once they get home instead of a piece of paper that they're going to lose between then and there or whatever. They can just quickly access those resources and get back to work. I like that. I know you mentioned before that communication is uh, not 
not some people's strong suit in right. co-ops and stuff. That is definitely a great way to help. From someone who has a co-op as well, my kids are home educated, especially if some people don't have the same method of organization, mm-hmm. it makes your ability to process the tasks a little more um, challenging. Yes. <laughs> I got wedge processes that basically kind of keep my world a little more organized based off of that. If Wendy were in my co-op, I would basically have very little post-processing to do in the assignments because that- Do you have a cricket? Well, he's saying basically I'm boring. This is my peanut gallery behind me. <laughs> They're saying I'm awful and I get it. Okay. I was just checking and making sure because I could have swore I was hearing a cricket in the background. A digital line of instruction is way easier. I've gotten emails that were just garbage emails before. They didn't have like task purpose in there at all. It's garbage. Anyway, yeah. So I would prefer your method to the nonsense that I get, that's for sure. It definitely seemed like the easiest way for me to get the information out to everybody and be able to do it consistently, especially if I have a base template made up for a page and I can just quickly add it, fill in the details that I need for it, get it out to the kids. That class is every Tuesday. And so it'd be nice if I get home from class where everything's still fresh on the brain, get all of that information up there and make sure people know what their assignments are for the following week. And then it's on them in order to check it. And that's one of the things that this class in particular likes to stress is learning how to set your schedule and manage your time and get your stuff done without being hounded every five minutes. So this is one of those ways it gives me the opportunity to put the information out there and then it's up to the students to get their work done or not. And that's nice because also the parents can see exactly what it is. There's no ambiguity whatsoever. And that, my dear Wendy, is very appreciated. Well, you're welcome. It sounds like you have an extremely fun toy coming up. And I know this is one of those things that I've really wanted to pick your brain about anyway, because I want one for this coming school year. You want to tell us about it? Well, I have a 3D printer and it works mostly fine. It's a little bit, I would say, a little weak in the knees for some prints, like for extended prints. And the platform is okay in size. It's good for most things that I do, but not everything I want to do. So I was looking at different solutions out there, like commercial solutions or near commercial solutions for 3D printing. I want to do larger items. So the problem is they're all extremely expensive. And then they kind of have these, I don't want to say they're proprietary or lockdown because most of them are open source, but they don't exactly make it easy for you to make modifications or give you those really cool metrics that like, you know, my nerd brain just has to have. And so I was looking at, is there like a Raspberry Pi based project out there? And I've heard it before, but I just kind of like blew it off because my track of thought wasn't there at the time. I started to look into Octoprint. It's a Raspberry Pi based 3D printing platform, essentially. The idea here is I could basically just take one of my Raspberry Pis, put Octoprint on it, and then actually build the structure around that. I was in the mechanical design field for a long time, so it wouldn't take much to take the design that I have now and just upscale it to being a larger platform and then using the Raspberry Pi to drive it all. I'm only in the beginning stages of this right now. A buddy of mine who's also a Linux user, formerly an Arch user, but he's upgraded to using OpenSUSE as of recent for his whole family. I was actually talking to him today about this. We're going to combine forces on this, and he's actually got a framework in mind already for the structure, and so we're going to work on the software side of it. The plan is we're going to build an OpenSUSE base using Octoprint on top of it. So we have basically that consistent reliability since he's actually very happy with how OpenSUSE has been working in his family and in the work that he does, pretty much hitting on all cylinders for him. 
I'm excited that there is so much work being done in the makerspace in Linux, and I'm going to basically take greater advantage of it. So that's, this is going to be one of those like long-term projects that hopefully in the next six to nine months is actually something that can be completed, hopefully with designs and everything else that can be published. That is super awesome. How large of prints are you thinking? My target is like a 16 inch by 16 inch by 16 inch. I don't know what that is in the rest of the world dimensions off the top of my head. But what I have right now is like eight inch by eight inch by eight inch. And there are okay. many prints that just will not fit in there. So I wanted at least one foot by one foot. So this would be a little bit oversized of that. I'll use some sort of extruded aluminum structuring for that as well, because it's really easy. From there, if I want to scale up the design further for a larger printer platform, I could do that as well. So the idea is I want to build or design something that, that can be scaled efficiently. Awesome. And with your background, you should be able to do that. Yeah, I think that should be no problem at all. It'll be fun to do this as well. I have the space for it now. I can actually explore these things. So hopefully it doesn't burn the place down. It won't. It'll be <laughs> fine. Wink, wink. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Well, Matt, I'm going to say that 3D printing has become more elementary for people as of late. But for you, you're doing something else that's elementary? Yeah, elementary OS. I wanted to give elementary OS its fair shake for as much as I might criticize kind of the lockdown nature of elementary or their very mm -hmm. design centric. Almost take the GNOME example to the extreme of this is how we want you to use the system. I'm fine with that. I wanted to give it its fair shake though because its biggest criticism that I've had about elementary has always been more about the lack of a dark mode because something about popping open a menu and being blinded by a white menu just doesn't do it for me. It's painful. I agree. It is very painful. Overall, I've actually been enjoying using elementary just as they intend elementary to be used. There are some things that I'm not a fan of, like the App Center, they keep it very elementary focused. So a lot of the default apps that you would normally see in a repository or a software center or whatever aren't going to be there unless you sideload from FlatHub. And in order to do that, you actually have to download from FlatHub instead of having like a nice little toggle switch like Pomac or a few of the other app centers do in order to enable that. Pros and cons on everything, but everything I need as far as that particular usage is pretty much there. The only one that I'm not a fan of is the way you have to enable permissions for app images. It's a little funky. It's not just a simple like in GNOME or KDE where it's just like right click, tell them, give it permissions and you're good. You have to go through and it's like user, owner, all the different groups that you have to put for read, write, execute, and all the other stuff. For a distro that tries to be so end user focused, there's some areas that I'm seeing that could be improved. I'm using certain things that they don't expect in different ways, like app image as opposed to flatback and that stuff. Overall, it's been a nice change. I don't know if I'll keep it, but I wanted to at least give it its fair shape. So you're testing out six right now, right? Yes, I'm testing out Montreal OS six. Again, the biggest thing for me wasn't necessarily so much the mentality behind the usage of what they expect, how users to use it. It was always the aesthetic of not having a dark mode and those blinding colors because right. unlike Wendy, bright whites and just they don't do well with me. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely don't do well with me either. But one of the things that I love about elementary, I haven't tried six and I've heard about some different bugs here and there. I've kind of been keeping my ear mm -hmm. on it around the community because that's what I have my dad on right now. I have him on elementary 5.1 mm -hmm. and it's been running absolutely great on the Surface Pro 3 that he has. The touch works out of the box without having to do any messing with it. And it was just the perfect fit for him to be able to get on a 
browser or do a few things. You know, he's not doing anything super complicated. And I liked that I could walk him through some basic install and maintenance stuff for the computer and not have to worry about it. Elementary was one of those things where I felt like I could just turn it over to him and he'd be good to go. Yeah, definitely. The one thing I do like is because of the way they implement permissions because of Flatpak into the actual app center. So you can manage the permissions and all that stuff from the app center. That's a really nice touch that I actually really, really like. Say what you want about hiding the repos, the Ubuntu repos or whatever. I think that if they're latching onto Flatpak, it almost makes them less dependent on the Ubuntu base as far as like the packaging and all the other stuff so that they can do whatever they need to for that particular aspect other than the core Ubuntu base that they use. They're not doing a Linux Mint basically (laughs) where they use the entire base and infrastructure of canonicals and all that stuff, which I think is totally fine. And Pantheon's actually grown on me a little bit. I know Nate has some issues with elementary more because of its lack of functionality for you, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm actually doing a elementary OS 6 exploration this week as well. I haven't actually installed it yet, but I did download the ISO. I'm going to start playing with it for a little while. My opinion of elementary is a little bit mixed, sorted. It has a sorted uh, history with me. What I like about it is how it is a very clean design. And I do appreciate the design elements they put into elementary. My concern for me is that there's certain things I just can't do cleanly and or there are applications that I've tried using that just don't look good on elementary. It's harder for me to use because I have certain things that I require. The other side of it too is if you ask question, can I do most things in elementary? Yes, that's not a problem because it has the Ubuntu base. I can pretty much install whatever I want. It's just some faffing about to get some applications to look right or be able to see it because of the whole GTK theming works. It kind of breaks with some applications, especially if they're not directly part of that elementary core. I had a similar issue with Pop! OS. I think Ubuntu is a little bit better. Some things were more readable. For sure, elementary was not the greatest. There is a way to manipulate it so you can get the dark theme before, which is what I had to do. Obviously, that's doing a lot of messing about, which kind of ruins a lot of the experience, I would say. But yeah, a dark theme is required for me. And now that they actually have that, I'm very excited. I'm not going to lie. What they've done with the style sheet, for at least the default stuff, obviously, this doesn't include everything. But the default style sheet for the dark mode is really, really good. I actually really like it. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security for your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together, they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. As a listener of DLN Extend podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash M-O-N-G-O and get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. All right. Speaking of things that we're trying or things that we love, let's talk about celebrating 30 years of Linux and the things that we have become thankful for because of Linux. 
Something that I'm really thankful for with Linux is I felt like it really gave me the power back with my hardware. This is like early 2000s and I felt this way. It was more mine. I didn't have to worry about things breaking even since you know 2002. It's just been a reliable runner for me. To clarify, machines I don't mess around with and tweak, they've never actually broken on me. If I've left them alone, just use them as they need to be used, I could always trust that my machine is going to be there for me. That's the big thing that I can really say. I don't have to worry. It's a low worry operating system. I don't have to go in there and go to regedit and try and fix whatever something installed messed with and or viruses or anything else. Not to say it's virus-free, but low-worry system. Lower maintenance. Well, I guess that depends. It can be low maintenance if you want it to be low maintenance. You can have systems that you're tinkering with all of the time that are constantly breaking because of the way you're using them and the new stuff you're trying out. So it can be very high maintenance because you enjoy it that way, or it can be very low maintenance, like the difference between handing my dad a laptop with elementary on it and then maybe something that I'm doing with the kids and where they're learning how it works. Very flexible. It is very flexible. Nate, I'm like you. For me, the thing that I'm most thankful for about it is that it gave me back control on when I determined things are finally have outlived what they need, like the usefulness of a piece of technology. Oh, right. Exactly. My editing rig is a 10-year-old piece of hardware. I mean, it's a second-gen i7. <laughs> I'm not running on most state-of-the-art hardware. Actually, Ryan's got that piece of hardware right now so he can uh, upgrade the GPU again. The fact that Linux allows me to continuously try to not breathe new life into it, but extend the life of a piece of hardware without some company trying to say, oh, this doesn't work anymore. You know, look at the Windows 11 debacle when they're like, oh, we don't know what our system requirements are. Or, you know, Apple's generically five year shelf life on most of their Macs. Linux, you can have a machine that still works years down the line. I know, Nate, you've mentioned that you have netbooks that you still use, like the two gig limited netbooks. Yeah, and they still run great. I think Linux's biggest thing is it can run from that older hardware. You know, I have 3050 Ti machine that I have Wendy's favorite distro on right now, Manjaro. Yay, you said its name. I was wondering if you were actually going to, if you're just going to let it slide, if you were actually going no, to. No, I'll be nice called. to actually say it. The range of hardware that you can have that control with, it's something that can't really be put into words as far as what, to me, Linux has given back that control over the kind of throwaway nature of how we have become with technology nowadays. I mean, just look at how often people are chucking phones and everything else at this point as far as got to get a new one, got to get a new one, got to get a new one. And you're like, that's been something I've really appreciated. Some of that comes back just to the base mentality of Linux itself. When you think about other standard operating systems for computers, the hardware is second. So they are making the software and they're wanting you to upgrade software, but they want to sell more hardware in order to do that. So they don't really care about the longevity of the hardware in general. It's all about how do we get more pieces of hardware sold. While that has worked fairly well, there are some great pieces of hardware out there because of the current system we have. It also makes for so much more unnecessary waste, like you were talking about. Where in Linux, the software is the key, and they want to make sure that you can run it on whatever you want to run it on. It doesn't matter to them what the hardware looks like, as long as it works and you're getting done what you need to. And it's not that you can't make money in Linux, because everybody needs to eat. And there are some awesome companies that work with open source Linux and still make an income off of it. 
but there's definitely a different mindset in where that software fits in this community as opposed to where it fits in a Windows community or a Mac community. Mac, and I don't want to put a blanket statement over it, but Apple in and of itself is expecting their customers to spend a lot of money up front and to purchase on a regular basis. And they really don't care if their stuff is fixable or not, because now they're down to the point that almost none of their stuff is fixable. They're wanting to buy the next big thing all the time. So making sure that stuff is getting upgrades isn't a priority. And that's the problem I have with, let's say, Apple. When Apple was a young company, they actually cared about being able to tinker with and play. And they gave you schematics of how the Apple IIe was laid out so you could build your own cards for it. And I feel like Apple maybe lost its way as far as caring about the users and the tinkers and the hobbyists. But I do feel like Linux has picked up a lot of that. And you can see it with the Raspberry Pis and the BeagleBones and Pine64. You can see that open nature that Apple once had is still alive and well. It's just kind of shifted to another platform. That's really important. I've had internet go down for periods of time. Having that control over my own hardware that's not calling back, phoning home, for me is huge for my workflow. I don't live in a mighty metropolitan area that has unlimited resources when it comes to internet. I do have my own hardware and I have my own little Nate cloud, as it were, where I can do all the things that I need to do locally because I can tinker with, because I can use these old things that other people want to discard, but I still find use and value in them. I mean, heck, Linux has made even a retro hardware more fun. And someone in the chat, I can't remember who it was, looks like Linux. He took an old Pentium laptop from 2014 and put RetroArch on it so he can play his Dreamcast emulation. There's a lot of joy to be had in how much you can own your technology. And I think that unfortunately has been lost on a lot of people as of late. The thing I love that Linux has given back is that tinkering nature if you want to, like you said, Nate, with the old Apple stuff, that was very much a Steve Wozniak thing. You can tell just by the hacker nature of putting that together with schematics and all the other stuff. That was very much an engineer that would push for that. For sure. And I think it is very lost on a lot of those companies now that everything's soldered to the board. You can't do anything with it. The market is shown with things like the Raspberry Pi, the Beagle boards, the Blackboards, all the other stuff that's out there for open hardware, even like the NVIDIA Jetson stuff. It shows that there is a market for it. People can take technology in totally different directions. The Raspberry Pi originally came out for tinkering at schools. People have made servers, clustered Raspberry Pis together and everything else. It has been amazing to see what people do with a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. I use an old third gen i5 laptop as my Kodi media center. I stream all my stuff from my hard drives and stuff that I have kicking around from my local media to that. That's what I love about it because it's like no one would care about that machine from eight years ago at this point, give or take. So we can take those kind of things and do what other systems really don't allow you to do. I think that's a really big strength to not just Linux, but it speaks to the openness and kind of the openness of the community to willing to try different things. Yeah, I know people have said that all of the options are a downside to Linux. But I actually feel that it's one of its strongest suits. We have so many people in the community and there's so many different ways of working that you can find something that fits just right for you and what you need to get the job done. And that's so much harder in lockdown ecosystems like a Windows or a Mac where, yes, you can find applications that help you do that. 
But just knowing before we even started the stream, I needed to keep a certain window above everything else. And it's one of the reasons why I love Plasma. It's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that I found Linux is there's so many little tools that are built into these different desktop environments that are made for Linux that help you get jobs done, that help make your life so much easier as you're doing the day-to-day stuff. Yeah, I agree. That customization, the making your computer personal again, personal computer aspect of your personal computer. Yes. That I think has been lost in people, not to say PC, but I guess maybe. But there's something very personal about what Linux can do for your workflow or how you want to do things. Like right now, I have a different screen set up today than I did last time we did this because, well, it's a different screen. I got a 1440p ultra wide. Wait, you know what new hardware is? (laughs) (laughs) The best part about this is, is he has this brand new ultra wide monitor with this retro computer attached to it. With a Commodore 64 (laughs) imposter. Yes, I do. It's the best. An AMD Commodore 64 imposter. AMD inside. What's nice is because of like the tiling features that Plasma has, and then how I can use the quick tiling functions within it, I can very quickly lay out how I want this monitor to look, mm-hmm. or the windows on the monitor. So I can see what PulseFX is doing, the YouTube chat, my matrix client, and then our show notes, and then I can see you guys. I tried to make Matt smaller just because. But what's nice is then also I have the ability to take these sizes and I can save them with the window properties within Plasma. So next time we do this, I can very quickly just apply initially to the windows as how I want them. I don't have to fiddle about. There's all these different little things to make it personal, to make it so you can work better and all these functions and features and so forth. I am super grateful all the time for everybody that's involved, everything from the Linux kernel to the applications I use, the desktop environment, everywhere, the packagers at OpenSUSE, people who make the flat packs, everyone who has the little part in it that makes my life easier and more efficient. It's fun. Like when you actually use a computer, you have this big giant ear to ear grin. Like I do just pretty much every time I use Linux, I'm just excited and happy because it's a joy to use. They actually really put joy back into into technology. People say to me, you know, well, you're a computer person. I says, no, no, actually I hate computers. Computers are awful. They all stink. I like certain computers with certain operating systems. Those are fun. Everything else is not fun. They're not for me. Lamer brings up a really good point inside the chat. What Linux did to impact my life is meeting new people all around the world. And community is definitely one of my favorite parts of Linux. I love the software. I love playing with all of the open hardware that we now have access to. But the people is what keeps me coming back for more all the time. I'm excited to see what people are doing with it. I talk to people all over the world every single week, not just with you guys who are in the same country. But I do get to talk to people all over the world And no matter what's going on, all the craziness going on, we can still share our passion for Linux and the technology and get to see what everybody's doing. So many friends everywhere. And on top of it, so many helpful friends. Yes. How many times have I antagonized, maybe not antagonized is the right word, but harassed, maybe that's not the right word, something you, Matt, and Wendy (laughs) for like help with things or I don't remember something or I need hardware help or or camera help or all these other things. I find that people in the Linux community, which the whole idea, the open source nature of it, it's a lot more open to share information so freely to like help each other along. That to me is actually one of the beautiful things. That's why actually I like the deal on Discourse forum because there's so many helpful people out there and just some funny people too. The joke thread there, the uh, open source jokes, fun, uplifting, caring, helpful people. And I think the whole open source nature promotes that. It promotes more of that. And that's something else that I think that is also thanks to Linux, kind of the core of a lot of that. The community, like any, has really good parts, really bad parts. Rotten apples. Rotten apples. (laughs) But 
the good parts of the community are really, really, really good. Sometimes it's finding the signal to the noise. Mm -hmm. But once you find the signal, those are really the great groups of Linux users and communities in Linux to be a part of. It's not always the easiest sometimes as far as finding them. But once you do, you will not find a better group of people who are open and willing to have discussions and help and just don't really care what your technological choices are at the end of the day. Do you as far as your tech? That is awesome. And it's the common core passion, though, is Linux community and open source stuff, giving the best technical and helpful advice that they can with whatever problem you might be having or making suggestions in, in a very constructive and helpful way. I've been given applications that I've never even heard of. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is really good. Flameshot, anybody? And that was one that was given to me by someone in the community. Yeah. Try Flameshot. I already have a screen capture tool. No, try Flameshot. Oh my gosh, I can only tell you about this before. Or fish shell. <laughs> I can annotate right on the image. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. Wild stuff like that. One of my favorite local music players is Lollipop. And I'm not a big GTK guy, but that particular app is the way it has the crossfade into other tracks. That seamless kind of integration is really, really nice. And it doesn't look half bad, which is something that's rare kind of in the Linux music player scene that doesn't look like an iTunes clone from 99. <laughs> a lot of that is just so refreshing to find in the community though. And that's something that I'm really, really thankful for to find. Yesterday I tried it again. I forgot about it, but Elisa or Elisa, yeah, I don't know Elisa, like QT equivocal to Lollipop. Yeah. I looked at that one years ago. Someone told me to, and I was like, mm, it's okay. I like Amarok. And then I tried it again yesterday. Someone on Twitter reached out to me, a Linux user and said I should try it. And I'm like, wow. It's changed a lot. And I love the little nerdy details it tells you at the top when it's searching through the tracks. Mm -hmm. And I uh, synchronized this machine to my music repository and everything else. It's scanning through everything. And then it's very pleasant to use now. Like they've really done a great job of making it enjoyable. It's fun because people are like, hey, have you tried this? Hey, have you tried this? I can't say I've really come across anybody pushy in years or anything like that. It's been nice. I know they're out there. People yeah. are out there. There are the Arch users out there, but I wasn't going to go there. I was going to mention Arch. <laughs> You'd have to put Michael in that group now, by the way. Oh, is he on Arch again? His new machine's running Garuda. Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to hurt yourself, that's fine. That's your business. Nothing against Garuda. It's fun to banter too. I mean, nobody can be too serious. If you're in the open source world, you can't be too serious. It's just really a lot of fun. The whole thing is fun. I enjoy it. Everything from these talks with you guys or other people in the Destination Linux community or the greater community, the open source community is great too. They're just fun people. You know, they just like to have fun with their technology. I know we have to work too. I get it. Linux really puts a lot of fun in technology. Yeah, it definitely does. Linux makes me enjoy using technology, whereas the other things make me really, really, really dislike technology. Loathe. Yeah. A lot of it's that sense of discovery and adventure and kind of like, what will work? As an example, Wendy, you recently just got the Pine Tab and the Pine Time, the Pine Phone. Mm -hmm. There is nothing more fun than taking the Pine Phone and booting up an OS on it to figure out what does and doesn't work and what's going to be the best experience on it. With Ninjaro. Of course it's going to be Manjaro <laughs> plus mobile. Tumbleweed on this guy. Okay, tumbleweed. Yes, it even says Pond 64 right there. Maybe if you can see it. No, you can't because it turns sideways, but it's there. This is the post-market OS edition, but this is not running post-market OS. <laughs> I am running Ubuntu <laughs> Touch. 
For me, that sense of discovery and excitement is really a great thing that it brought back into technology for me. Like Nate, after a while, technology is just like, uh, I got to use it, not because I want to, but I got to. You're just like, uh. It's when you're forced to use technology. It can be any technology. It's really funny. This is totally an aside and because I like to derail the conversation a little bit. That's just what I do. I remember like years ago when I worked for a company and they had a phone system and these brilliant engineers couldn't use, we're talking 20 years ago now, like late 90s. And these brilliant engineers who developed these amazing bits of technology couldn't understand how to use the stinking phone system. At the time, like, why can't you figure this out? It's just a simple phone system. And then I thought, and I realized they can't use a phone system because they don't like it, because it is clunky and it's not fun to use. I'll give you an example for me. I have a PlayStation 4 now. For the life of me, it's not intuitive at all. I can't figure out how to use a thing. So I have to ask my 10-year-old, how do I get to this? How do I be able to change this? I'm now the old guy that doesn't understand these things. But I think it's because I think a PlayStation 4, for me, isn't fun. It's an appliance that just does a thing so we can play a specific game. The interface isn't very fun. You can't really customize it either. It's just Anyway, it's interesting to see where your passions are in technology. That's your area where you kind of grow and build and, and so forth. And so, which is why I do like hang out here in the Linux and OpenSUSE areas. Do you live in the OpenSUSE areas, Nate? <laughs> Well, it is my area, sort of. Again, I don't do a lot in the OpenSUSE project. I just basically do documentation. I should do more. It's almost like you have an unhealthy obsession with it. Almost, almost unhealthy obsession, but close. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. For those that want some other things to really look at as far as Linux history and some interesting facts about Linux history. Uh, Michael for This Week in Linux did a six cool things about Linux history video a while ago that is a really cool look at some of the interesting things that goes on and happened in the Linux history. Eric over at Front Page Linux did an entire guide, and I mean in depth, of the entire history of Unix and everything you need to know. That thing is a read, but it is such a well-written piece of article. It's also a great resource to go back to. You don't have to read the whole thing at once. For me, I read it in chunks because it was so good, and I've reread it many times and used as a reference. It's actually it's a great like reference document to like know where things are at in the history of Linux, or if you have a question about something specific, it's a great guide. Front page Linux. I'm sure you have a link to that, don't you? You do have a link to that. Yes. Well, hot do. dog. The links for both are going to be in the show notes or in the video description. In this case, it is a great, great guide for the history of Linux. It's a fun read too. Yeah, Eric did a fantastic job with it. He really did. I'll even give Michael credit for making a fantastic video. Don't tell him that, though. That's a secret. We won't tell him. Nobody tell Michael that Matt just praised him. It never happened. Well, it's going to mess up his hair. I get so excited, I'll just go, woo. Exactly. <laughs> they make it. And of it. course, this is all in celebration of 30 years of Linux. This show is being recorded one week before one of the anniversary dates, and it will release on one of the 30-year anniversary dates for Linux this episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. 
If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Some other things we are thankful for on Linux, though, is all the gaming things. It seems like I'm not the only one that's got some gaming stuff this week. Nate, you actually, excuse my heart and let it still be, you bought games? Oops, did I put that in the show notes? <laughs> <laughs> you purchased the Inner World Bundle, apparently. I did. I'm going to copy and paste that someplace else. Oops. Um, yes, I did purchase the Inner World Bundle. All right, so we've actually talked about this game before, I believe. Yes, because I played it through and mentioned both games. Yep, and mm-hmm. and so what happened was I was going through my emails. This week's been really busy, so I've been behind on all my emails. I think I have like 300 some to go through yet. The Steam one popped up, and it says one of your games on your wish list is on sale. It was like 80% off. So I got Inner World for like four bucks, the bundle. So I just nice. downloaded it yesterday. I love the art style. I love the point-and-click adventure stuff. It takes me back. For me, it's a nostalgic thing also because like games like King's Quest, Space Quest, Police Quest, those are games that I enjoyed playing back in the DOS days of computers. I didn't have a DOS computer really at the time, but I'd play on other people's computers. So there's something like very nostalgic, very enjoyable. I really enjoyed Candle, although I haven't actually gone through it because the whole move thing kind of threw everything off. I really enjoyed very much that style of game. And so I thought, this one's on sale. I'm going to buy it. The tones are a little muted in it. It kind of plays into the theme of the game itself. It's so visually fun to look at. Next family gaming night, we're going to give this one a whirl and see how it goes. Awesome. I'm really excited. I absolutely love that game. They were both so much fun. The biggest downside I'd say of the game, because you are doing a lot of talking to other characters and sometimes in order to solve the puzzle, because it is still a puzzle centric game at the same time. But sometimes you need to go back and talk to characters or sometimes the dialogue of characters I find really way too slow. So there's points where I was clicking through it because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've heard this already. Let's move on. Or I can read it 10 times faster than you're saying it. I want to get to the puzzle part. Just tell me what I need to know. So if you liked it, games that have some story to them, because both of these games definitely have a story that I found interesting. It's They're cute stories. The graphics are gorgeous as far as that cartoony fun style. If you don't like to sit through dialogue, you can still play this game and just click through it and get back to the gameplay. The whole reason for getting it was because of the story element. That's actually part of it. Because sometimes we watch movies together as a family and, and so forth. So this is kind of a in place of a movie, more like an interactive movie. That's kind of how I look at it. And I'm sure if it gets frustrating, we can skip through. I don't know. I just, I really enjoy that style of game. Like I said, where's Nate and what have you done with him? Um, He slipped on a banana peel. Apparently because Nate never buys new release games even if they look retro. It's actually 2013. They're not that new. Okay, Wendy, we're going by Nate's definition of new here. Remember? Okay, yes. 2013 is like brand new for me. Yeah, that's true. Hot off the presses. Yes. Wait, we don't say that anymore, do we? Hot off the presses. That's a newspaper thing. They still print newspapers. Well, when I'm done purchasing games and getting stuck into a wet paper bag that I can't get out of in a segue, Wendy, there's a game I guess you haven't played. Yes, there's a game I have not played. Like you, life has gotten absolutely crazy. I still am part 
of the Humble Bundle Monthly, my stuff became available for July. So my subscription renews towards the end of the month. I get to see what games are available for most of the month and finally get to download them at the end of the month. This one became available at the end of July. I went back through to see what I could download and I found this Kill It With Fire. The whole point of this game is to kill the spiders and you're destroying your home, your office, all kinds of stuff in the process. It's an over-the-top kind of game. It looks so much fun. Actually, originally, I found out about this game because my kids like to watch several different gamers on YouTube. And so I saw him playing this and I just couldn't help myself. I'm not what you would call a spider hater. I actually have spiders that live in the windows that we keep there because they eat the flies, right? As long as you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. We're pretty good that way. But this just looked like so much fun. But I haven't got to play it yet. Gosh dang it. Things need to slow down. I'd even planned to play it for my birthday and it just didn't happen. I was too busy even on my birthday to get a chance to sit down and play a game. So it will happen before we record next week. Hold me to that, Matt. And then I will actually get to talk about how I enjoyed the gameplay next week. But for now, it's downloaded. It's installed. All I have to do is click play, but I need 10 minutes to make that happen. Okay, so pulling out a pistol to shoot a spider, that's just funny and obnoxious. <laughs> And the flamethrower. Yes, and the vacuum cleaner. To me, that's incredibly funny. Ironically, I've known people who have done similar. I have to wait at least seven years or so before I can buy this game, though, because it came out in 2020, so we'll have to wait. Oh, yeah, it's way too new for you to be able to purchase right So now. you will buy this in 2040. <laughs> if I'm still around. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'll still be around in 2040. Nate got a game that he's bought but hasn't got to play yet. I have a game that's installed, but I haven't got to play yet. Please tell me the game that you have for this week you've actually played, Matt. Well, to do cross show plugs, yeah, I had one game that I played, which was Dex with Ryan, and got to see how bad he is at games again. For shock and surprise, there. Yeah, I watched that one. That was great. It's always entertaining to watch. So, for those that want to watch Ryan play video games, go watch this past episode of GameSphere, where we play Dex and talk about why I'm such a fanboy for the game. Not going to lie. On other news, for games I have actually played, unlike my two co-hosts here, Dying Light is a zombie hardcore game. Open world, crawl up the walls and run around in an open city, kill zombies game. Really not a whole lot of depth to that. Go around, craft weapons, and try not to die while running away from zombies. They've done a lot of cool stuff. This was initially not Linux native. They have made it Linux native. Pros and cons on the native port of it. Some people are fine with it some people aren't the proton version from what i've seen in comparisons tends to run better if you want native you got native if you want proton you can do the proton version too i would definitely recommend it you can usually get it on sale pretty cheap the enhanced edition is usually about 15 bucks i would definitely say it's worth it if you want to support native linux games that are AAA by definition then this is definitely one to go and grab i believe the full edition is like $25 right now. That's with all the costumes and DLC and all the other kind of typical nonsense that you would find with it. All right. So I see it's rated M for immature. Well, we all know I'm <laughs> immature, so it's okay then. Very amused by the cutscene where the guy's swinging an axe around in a circle and cutting everybody. That made me laugh. That was funny. Yes, it is rated M, of course. Uh, you know, most zombie games tend to be. So take that for what you will. Yes. If you want family friendly games, come see me or Nate. And if you want. Not so family friendly. <laughs> I've made family-friendly recommendations. You have, oh, you have made family-friendly recommendations, but they're usually in a private message to say, hey, I came across this game and I'm pretty sure your kids are going to like it. But in fairness, that's because... <laughs> 
I don't play them. All these games that I ever make recommendations for are the ones that I play. Though, to be fair, you recently did share a game with Disney characters, so... Yes, Kingdom Hearts. That is true. This is true. Looking for PlayStation games. Would you recommend Little Big Planet? Yes, I would recommend Little Big Planet, by the way, Nate. Yeah, I figure as much. That is a funny game. It makes me laugh playing that game. The obnoxious physics in it is just, it is almost worth buying a system just to play that game. My daughter would agree with that because she thinks she needs to own every Sonic game there is. And there's some games that are only available on different gaming platforms that we don't currently own. See, your daughter's wise beyond her years. <laughs> Must own all the gaming things, Wendy. Must own all the gaming things. All the gaming things. I can't say I disagree with her at all. Well, Wendy, look at it this way. If you get the Steam Deck, emulation will be your friend. I still haven't pre-ordered mine. I'm probably about the only one on the network who hasn't. In fairness, most people who have pre-ordered it regardless are probably going to be waiting to at least at best early next year. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels, all of the shows, and creators at destinationlinux.network. More information on me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. You can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN extent swag along with stuff from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. This is like Thanksgiving at the table before we get to eat. Yes, very much. <laughs> okay. Okay, so who's bringing me my breakfast then? Nate, you're closer. Yeah, by like three hours. <laughs> you're still closer. Three of the 14 you would have to drive to get there. What do you want? Eggs, bacon, sausage? All the above. I actually, I buy my meat by the pig, so I actually have fresh bacon in the freezer. I guess it's not fresh once you freeze it, but it's from the pig. I like to do dry rubs on it now. It's my new thing. Do some dry rubs, let it sit for a while. All right, well, bring it on over. I'll see you in about <laughs> 10 hours, 12 hours, maybe, if you catch a flight. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> like flying. Ed, my arm is retired. Actually, Nate, high recommendation for the PlayStation 4, folders. I love folders. You can make folders. That interface is horrible. Speaking as a PlayStation 4 owner, they might have a library function all the way at the end of that. I have to put my games I actually have installed to own folder because the way the UI works. That doesn't even sound like fun. I've never owned a PlayStation, so I can't speak to how they work. But at least Xbox is more usable in that way. We have one of those. My kids have one of those. I don't ever touch the darn thing. It seems to be pretty easy to navigate, though I think that's one thing that Microsoft actually does well, and we've talked about it many times before, hardware. They're pretty good at hardware. I think Nintendo does a good job too. Like the Wii U, yeah. the Wii... Those are all pretty intuitive as far as getting to applications or games. Yeah. I never had complaints about Sega, but the last Sega I used was a Sega Genesis. So So the file system on Sega Genesis is actually great because you think about it, you just pull the card off and you stick it in. Very You're easy. Good it's to all, go. Your filing system is all very physical. Yes. Now that we've gotten totally derailed. I'm good at that. It's one of my gifts. You are great at that. And many other things I can't say. <laughs> At least not during the live stream. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll give you words after the live stream. Right. Yeah, that's fine. Now I got to find my show notes again. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode. Awesome sode. <laughs> 
I got a new word for you. It's like a awesome and episode. Awesome sode. That's right. Like awesome sauce. That's going to be our new thing. Awesome-sode. It's an awesome sode.